This is Ross Elliott. By listening to the previous recordings, you are taking part in some of the more unusual events in my life, and I thank you for accompanying me on that journey, even in some small way. Writers often take great liberties when recounting political histories, personal memoirs, or other allegedly non-fictional works. I have not found such embellishments necessary. This tale is easily verifiable even in its most remarkable elements and requires no sensationalism. To the best of my knowledge, I am passing on accurate information of legitimate public interest. Names, localities, and characteristics of certain people have been changed because they participated in acts which may not have been entirely legal or to protect them from embarrassment. Some time frames were also distorted for the sake of coherence. Beyond these exceptions, my account is entirely factual, notwithstanding the unavoidable bias of a singular perspective and intimate involvement in many unusual circumstances. Some individuals may remember events differently. Cases where I recount dialogue are based on memory of specific conversations and bolstered by extensive diary entries. In other places, I have presented the essential content of what were often quite unforgettable interactions. If there is any contradiction, it is unintentional and not through any malicious intent on my part. Research may never fully explain the circumstances enveloping Babette's true origins, but some key elements have been established, verifying many of her more sensational claims. After her tour with the British military in Ireland, by 1922, Germain Bonifant, 1894-1983, was living in the United States and married to an American man named Robert Fulton Brown. 1882-1932. He worked variously as a carpenter, mail carrier, and mule packer who led cargo caravans supplying isolated communities throughout the Pacific Northwest by government contract. The two of them were often photographed together, appearing quite happy in many regions over several years. Then, according to FBI files released through the Freedom of Information Act, FOI slash PA hash 1308317-0, Albert James Holmes Ellsworth was born in Yakima on October 22, 1928, to 16-year-old Mildred Irene Ellsworth, formerly Sweet, who claimed her husband, Albert J. Ellsworth, was the father. Babette was wrong about the Ellsworth name meaning a small unit of currency, and likely fabricated it to make the contrast between her French and American families more dramatic. Worth is simply an old English term for agricultural estate, and Ells a corrupted form of Eli's. The original Ellsworths were workers on Eli's farm. As rural laborers subsist at the bottom of the class structure, her prideful point remains more or less accurate. They left their child in the hospital and immediately relocated to Redmond, Washington. Mildred allegedly wrote the hospital but received no replies and assumed her child had died. Thinking Albert abandoned, the hospital gave Babette up for adoption, and she was placed with the Seattle Council of Catholic Women. The adoption records are sealed, so details remain murky, but it was apparently through this organization that Robert and Germain Brown obtained their child. They called her Robert John Pierre Brown, but also used the original birth name of Albert Ellsworth at times. The new family traveled together around the Northwest for two more years. Strangely, on the 1930 census, they list their child as Robert Brown, 
a six-year-old. Extensive photographs from the time only documented the couple with Babette, then obviously a two-year-old. In 1930, the three of them left for France and spent time with Germain's relatives in the South. Robert Brown Sr. returned to the U.S. alone and died in 1932 after falling off a horse in the Idaho wilderness. His lengthy obituary mentioned the names of many extended family members, but oddly, nothing about a wife or son. Germain continued raising Babette in France under multiple names, sometimes as Albert Ellsworth, others as Ellsworth Brown, and then also writing home to the surviving Brown family about Robert Brown Jr. After Babette grew older, she was sent to a boarding school called Bazas University. The school was divided by gender, Saint-Jean-Baptiste for boys and Gisquiet for girls. Instructors came from a Cistercian Catholic sect known as Betharam, which still carries a severe reputation in the region. Gisquiet eventually took new life as an art gallery, which by November of 2016 had closed down. The 300-year-old Saint-Jean-Baptiste building still stands, though converted into a retirement home. Babette's account of her family's experience during the war is partially accurate. Fouque de la Rente Tolazon took a public stand with the Vichy regime, but supposedly passed information to the French resistance as well as British intelligence. It's likely he wasn't considered a completely reliable source, as his son, Babette's childhood friend, Fouque Honoré, did in fact enlist with the Waffen-SS. His family fortunes diminished, Delorente Tolazon eventually invited German officers to use the Chateau de Lac as headquarters after the occupation of southern France, but then evicted them, tearing the building apart for scrap in 1944. What Babette recalled as the wrath of local people burning the building was actually her family benefactor destroying it himself, selling the ornate metal roof and breaking off the marble columns. Its ruins now sit on the edge of a large vineyard owned by the Parnot family, and an image of the Chateau de Lac can be seen on their wine label. After the Germans retreated, local resistance leaders called Fouque de into Saint-Jean, the nearby town. He complied, bringing a suitcase with papers documenting his alleged espionage career, but they were ignored. Just before executing him by firing squad, the captors allowed him to write a final letter. He did so, addressing it to his old friend, Felix Yosipov. These and many other additional details were recounted personally to me by the grandson of the De La Rente Tolazon family's head servant in November of 2016. For French speakers, additional information about the Chateau du Lac, the De La Rente Tolazon family, plus Felix Yosipov and the Russian émigrés who Babette and Germain spent much time with during those years, can be found in a book by Jean-Pierre Guillotorres. La Sombre Destinée du Château de Lac, une histoire de familles. Guia Editions, 2013. After all this, by 1944, Germain was seeking a path of escape from the war through Switzerland, having first written the American consulate in Bern during March that year. Then, on December 17, 1944, Babette applied for a Swiss identity certificate at the Swiss consulate in Paris, using the name Albert Ellsworth, and explaining she had been abandoned by her birth parents and adopted by Germain and Robert Brown. Swiss officials contacted the U.S. State Department, who investigated this claim. They interviewed a former neighbor of the Browns in Clackamas, Oregon, who remembered the child as Robert Brown Jr., though expressing doubt, 
quote, whether or not the complete adoption was accomplished with legal papers and all, unquote. Next, agents of the passport office tracked down Mildred Ellsworth. She expressed great surprise that her dead child was now a living French teenager and stated the baby had been born, quote, in wedlock, unquote. Meanwhile, in Europe, Jomaine maintained her incomplete adoption papers demonstrated Babette's birth was illegitimate and that a, quote, John Doe, unquote, listed as father in her paperwork was what had complicated adoption by French courts. Nevertheless, on August 23, 1946, Babette was sent back to America with a declared destination of Rosalind, 60 miles northwest of Yakima. It's unclear if the Ellsworths relocated there again together or if my professor's strong attachment to the city developed later during her school touring years. Babette often exaggerated her education, which was still impressive by any measure. She graduated from Portland University at age 21 in 1949. She then studied at the University of Bordeaux in 1950, but earned her first master's degree from the University of Oregon at 27 in 1955. Her Ph.D. came from Bordeaux at age 34 in 1962. Her account of an affair with Henri Guillemont, 1903-1992, a prominent French historian and intellectual writer, can't be verified, though he did teach at the University of Bordeaux. Babette's claim that she worked as an undercover agent in drag for the U.S. government is impossible to substantiate, but employment records prove that in 1950, Babette was indeed working for the Department of the Interior. Babette first caught the FBI's attention that same year, after she repeatedly visited a Portland radio station seeking access to recorded collections of Hitler's speeches. Even before this, her college papers carried heavy fascist sympathies, even evident from pro-Hitler attitudes in an essay about Tolstoy's War and Peace in 1949. The brief government investigation determined she wasn't a threat to national security. However, by 1961, her extensive correspondence with East German officials set off alarms. A much more intensive background search turned up the name Robert Jean-Pierre Brown and old passport office notes from 1944 to 1946. Much of Babette's extensive files have been redacted, but it is documented she lived under intermittent FBI surveillance after that point until at least 1978. Despite wide-ranging interviews by agents, including colleagues, neighbors, and social acquaintances, released documents show no awareness about Albert's double life as Babette during those years. It's possible that information remains amidst the majority of her files still considered classified, or perhaps she was simply very good at concealing time away from home under her true identity. Babette carried on an extensive correspondence with various East German government departments, mostly dealing with academic subjects, but doesn't appear to have been politically recruited by them. The only evidence connecting her with any significant intrigue is a 1963 letter from Sigrid Schweiger, an official with the Gesellschaft für kulturelle Verbindungen mit dem Ausland, an agency that maintained international cultural contacts, about a young American named Dennis Mosgoffian, who attended Berkeley and had earlier visited the GDR. She hoped Ellsworth would contact this young man and share a series of propaganda films which might inspire student affinity groups. In February of 2010, I corresponded with Moscoffian, then a retired labor activist, but he recalled no communication between Ellsworth and himself ever taking place. This was very much in keeping with the Babette I knew. 
As a Germanophile, she no doubt enjoyed her East German contacts immensely, but made sure she didn't step over lines that might put her career in danger. Actually contacting Moskofian would have been too risky, and potentially brought the FBI down on the both. Interestingly, I submitted FOIA requests for both Germain Bonafont and Judge Shoemaker, but received no information about either. Regarding Babette's French mother, it's not too surprising, given that most of Germain's unusual history took place in Europe. However, it remains incredible to imagine none of the various government investigations from 1944 onward noticed the huge discrepancy in her and Robert Sr. claiming Robert Brown Jr. as a six-year-old in 1930 when Babette was only two. If there was some acknowledgement of that, it may have been simply dismissed as a typo or archived amidst the many documents still classified. Judge Raymond D. Shoemaker 1894 to 1977 is another story. He took many controversial social stands and did so very publicly, both through newspaper editorials and decisions from the bench. To imagine that someone as roundly criticized by police officers for being a subversive social element was overlooked by the FBI in the same city where Babette's attempt to listen to Hitler's speeches and correspond with East German educational departments launched decades of investigation would be absurd. The record is even blank where the two come together. One of the last file updates from 1978 notes Babette's Tolman Street address as having been her residence since 1971, but makes no mention that this was the same house as Shoemaker. Per usual, with anything involving Babette, mysteries outnumber the facts. For more information, reproduced documents, and photographs about Babette and her long, strange saga and how it intersected with my own, please visit www.profellsworth.com. Thank you for listening.